And now turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. And I want you to think about the best meal you've ever had. And maybe it's going to be the spaghetti dinner that's right after church today. I, I don't know. Um, but think about that. And, you know, if I, I was reflecting on this question today, and it was actually a really hard question for me because I have several, like, memorable meals, several things that are just so good, and I think back on, and I think, well, what is my, like, my best meal memory? And it really depends so much on context. Some of the, like, really nice meals that I've had, I, I wasn't, they weren't all that much, all that memorable or all that enjoyable because, like, if you go to a really nice place, maybe you're, maybe you're not like me. But if, you, but if I go to a really nice place, there's a little bit of, like, it's not super comfortable. Like, I kind of feel like I don't belong sometimes. So it's just kind of like, okay, this is a really nice meal. This, everything's really clean. But, like, what do I do with all of these, like, extra utensils? And the tablecloths are super, are super clean. And, like, what if I spill something, which I always do? And then I'm the guy at the really nice restaurant that, like, messed up the bright white tablecloth, you know, that sort of stuff. I was thinking back, and I, I, I would guess that, that Jess would, would not guess this as the one in this room that knows me the best. One of the most memorable, enjoyable, the thing that sticks out to me when I think of a meal that was so enjoyable, relaxing, it tasted good, it satisfied, one of the best meals I've ever had was at Cracker Barrel. And some of you are like, yeah, well, that makes total sense. I don't actually like Cracker Barrel all that much. I mean, I like the style of food that Cracker Barrel is, but I think Cracker Barrel is overpriced, so I'm kind of anti-Cracker Barrel, honestly. And yet, there's a context here. Okay, so, and, and, and here's why, why we're doing this. Proverbs chapter 9, what happens is at the end of a long journey, we're faced with a decision. We're invited to two dinner parties in Proverbs chapter 9. Okay, so I think back to my meal at Cracker Barrel that was so impactful and so memorable. There was this Cracker Barrel um, just outside of Roanoke, Virginia. The timing was significant. It was February. Um, Eden was six months old. So we're, we're going to say February of 2013, and a memorable meal for me. But the context matters. Okay, so my parents at the time were living in Boston. We went up to Boston, and my parents... Um, were generous with us, and they had given us a car. So it was great. I mean, you know, the, going to Boston in February, not the best. Not the best time to go to, to Boston. But if somebody gives you a car, you go to Boston in February, and you just deal with the snow, right? So we flew up, we flew up there, and then we were driving the car back. We stopped the D.C. area and, and did a couple things in D.C. the night before. I spent the night, and then um, we're driving back to Dalton from D.C., and we woke up and we recognized that there was some snow incoming. So we kind of watched the weather. We changed our, our plans a little bit to try to avoid the snow, and we completely blew that goal. We did not avoid the snow at all. In fact, the, the weather kind of changed. It did something that we didn't expect, and so there, there we were in Virginia as the elevation increased, and there's the, the hill country of, of Virginia there, and as we're going down the interstate in Virginia, there's snow that just starts dumping. And then we go and go and go, and we're like, oh, this snow has been here for a while, because the more we go, the more we see, like, this snow is just like, the snowstorm is just sitting here on top of us, and it's been here for a while before we got here. 
and there's snow on the side of the roads. There's, there's no plows going. There's no preparation of the roads, anything like that. And I'm thinking, man, we have, I've got a six-month-old in the back of the car, right? I'm thinking, we're not going to do this. Like, I'm not going to drive through this snowstorm. I'm going to pull over. We're going to find a place to stop. This is the context in which you get an unexpected hotel room. This is, this is the time. So we pull over. We go to this hotel, and there is no room at the end. And they basically say, um, so we're full, and we're full because on this side of the interstate, we have power. The other side of the interstate, and there's two hotels on this side of the interstate, the other side of the interstate where there's three hotels, they have no power. So all their people came over here. So there's, there's no hotel rooms anywhere around here now. But you know what people are doing is um, they're hanging out in the Home Depot parking lot waiting for the power to come back on, and maybe those other hotels will open up. And I was like, was well, that like a conceivable thing of happening sometime soon? And they're like, we have no clue. But there's a whole lot of snow, and we're not used to this. And we're like, okay. So we make the decision. Do we sit in a Home Depot parking lot with a six-month-old, or do we try to brave it and keep going? Kept going, okay? Um, get onto the, the on-wrap onto the interstate, covered in snow. The only place that there's any, any sort, there's, there's any lack of snow is the tire treads of the, of the car right in front of me. So I go there, almost get stuck on the on-ramp of the interstate, but we have all-wheel drive, so we just keep, keep going. We're going one lane down the interstate. Everybody's just following in the tire tracks of, of the person right in front. There's snow falling everywhere. There's thick snow on the side of the road. A plow had been through and just made, made big piles of snow, so you only have one lane, but there's snow literally on the roads anyway. And we're going, we're going slow. And at one point, I look behind me, and this car behind me like veers off somehow, like loses, loses their traction and slams right into this like four-foot-tall snowbank. And I like, I like break, and I'm like, oh my gosh, we got to help. And I was like, there's nothing I can do. And there's like 50 cars behind them that are there. And I was like, well, survival of the fittest. We keep going. <laughs> All those 50 cars behind them, they've got to stop and help. So I'm just going to keep plowing through. I've got a six-month-old. Somebody without a six-month-old, they can stop, right? And so then we, we eventually, though, we, we get out of it, and it starts to kind of calm down. We get out of the snow. I still can't believe how that the whole thing happened. And we get out, and we find a place to stop and, and a place to be warm, and it's a hot cup of coffee and a chicken pot pie from Cracker Barrel. And it's literally like, this is the best thing ever because we're alive. And everything, like, I mean, we have heat in the car, right? I mean, we, I mean, it wasn't like we were freezing, but everything felt cold because you just look outside, and it's like you just, you're freezing inside because everything is frozen outside. And that was the best meal, literally. I, I think about it. I spent three days thinking about this to start this sermon. I was thinking, what's the best meal? And I think, that was about it. Because it was like the context of, we survived. Little Eden somehow made it through that. She was miserable, but, but we made it. And now, smooth sailing, Roanoke to Dalton. We're going to make it. We're going to be okay. We had a nice warm meal. We made it home that day. So think about that. This is the context. You have this long, difficult journey. 
We've been talking about it for weeks. Proverbs 1 through 8 is a story of two paths. You have the path of wisdom, and you have the path of folly. There's all these different opportunities to go off of the right path onto the wrong path. We are faced with micro decisions every step of the way. Every step of this journey, it's a a decision. Are we going to stay on the path? Are we going to leave the path? And, And will something pull us off the path? Some temptation, some distraction, our own laziness, or or our own sin. What's going to pull us off the path? Or can we really figure out how to live in wisdom and stay on the right path? And Proverbs 9 reaches the end of the path. And the final choice. Because all along the path, there's there's been one path to wisdom. And there have been a hundred little trails to follow. You can get off the path to wisdom at any point and move towards foolishness. But here is the author of Proverbs, this wise father who is writing to his son, is trying to help us make the decision to choose wisdom, to walk in wisdom, and not pick folly, not pick foolishness. And there's three paragraphs in our passage for today, Proverbs 9, 1 through 18. What those present to us is that basically there's three types of people. Three types of people in Proverbs 9. And there's two houses at the end of the road. And there's one choice. So here's where we're going to go this morning. Three, pe- three types of people, two houses to choose from, and there's one choice that we are going to make. So house number one. Meal invitation number one. Proverbs 9, 1 through 6. Wisdom has built her house. She's sown her seven pillars. She's hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So this is our first decision that we're faced with, our first opportunity, okay? We're at the end of the road, and remember, the whole road, the point of the road, has been wisdom is the destination, and we're here. And wisdom, personified again as a woman, wisdom is inviting us in for dinner at her house. And look at the the description. We have a description of the house, the, the dinner, we have a description of the invitees, and we have a description of the way of life. So there's house number one. We'll look at those four things. In a minute, we're going to get to house number two. Look at the same four things. The house, the dinner, the invitees, and the way of life. Look at the house in verse one. Wisdom has built her house. It's well constructed. She's hewn her seven pillars. Pillars, just so you know, in ancient Israel weren't like normal in architecture. They, they meant that this was a palatial home. This was well built. This was solid. It was ornate. It was a nice home. The the number seven in Scripture is a number, and in Hebrew, it's a number uh, referencing completeness. And so what this one verse in Proverbs 9.1 says, wisdom has built a house and it has everything. It's complete. It's the type of house that as you're traveling by on the road, it's alluring. You're like, I want to go inside that house. 
You drive by this nice house on the road, and you're like, mm, I'm going to look it up on Zillow. I'm going to see if I can find any pictures of the inside of the house, because you're just so curious, right? This is this, is this type of house. I want to know what's inside. I want to be invited in. Everything that we need is here in this house of wisdom. And remember, okay, in Proverbs 1 through 9, there's a man talking to his son, and both wisdom and foolishness or folly are personified as women. So there's the lady wisdom, and then there's the foolish lady, okay? But as we, as we leave Proverbs 9, which we will after this week, as we go into the rest of Proverbs, what you're going to see is wisdom is not just personified as a woman, but wisdom actually represents a person, Jesus. Jesus is wisdom, and wisdom is Jesus. And what, what Solomon, as the author of, of Proverbs, is trying to prepare us for, and trying to prepare Israelites for, is this coming wisdom that would be a person, that would be the wonderful counselor, that would lead and guide his people in any and every circumstance, where his people would no longer have to figure out how to live on their own, have to figure out how to solve their own problems, how to come up with their own solutions, but God would actually solve problems for his people. God would provide salvation for his people. God would provide his son to create new life in his people, and through the new life his people receive, through Jesus, the Son of God, comes the Spirit of God to literally dwell in people and guide us to wisdom each and every day. So as much as this is a house of wisdom, we see now from, from the new covenant lens, this is the house of Jesus. And the invitation is for you to walk in and dine with Jesus and say, I need Jesus to direct my life. I need Jesus to guide me. Who's the greatest expert on you in the world? It's not you. And boy, that's great news that it's not me. The greatest expert on the world, in the world, on you is Jesus. He designed you. He put you right where you are, put you in the family that he put you, put you in the season of time that he put you. He created you for a purpose, designed your talents, abilities, your interests, all of those things, created and designed by Jesus, and he actually knows you better than you know yourself. He's better at building a great life for you than you are. So the invitation is Jesus saying, come in. I'll show you how to live. Come in, join me. I'll show you what life is like. The dinner says in verse 2 that wisdom has, has slaughtered her beasts and mixed her wine. That means that it's fine and fresh meat. That literally there are, there are animals that were out in the field uh, yesterday that have been slaughtered for the purpose of this meal, this great banquet, and you are the guest of honor. Because we've made it to the end of this path and we are being invited in to dine with wisdom. And so we've, we're invited in and the finest meat is available, the freshest meat is available to us. Mixed wine means that she has ensured that the wine is of fi finest quality. She's mixed in some aromatic herbs to, to enhance the flavor of the wine. It's not diluted wine. It's, it's wine that is mixed to be the best it can be. And so the table is set with the finest food and the finest drink. 
And think about all that we've talked about over the last few weeks as we've looked at Proverbs 1-3. All the things that wisdom offers us. Wisdom protects us. Wisdom guides us. Wisdom instructs us. But wisdom satisfies us. Wisdom enlivens us. Wisdom enlightens us to see more clearly. Wisdom opens us up to joy. And with that, in the coming weeks, what we're going to see, at the end of, of Proverbs 9, wisdom turns topical. Right now we have this story of this journey and this decision between wisdom and folly. Once you open the door into the house of either wisdom or folly, then comes more. And in 10 through 31 of Proverbs, you see Proverbs really just, uh, they seem random at times, but they're little topics that show up, sometimes just one or two verses at a time, little topics that the author of Proverbs is trying to help you to see, here's how you live in wisdom. Wisdom about words and how we use them. Wisdom about how we work. Wisdom about our relationship, marriage, family, etc. Wisdom about uh, laziness. Wisdom about pride. Handling our emotions. Wisdom about forgiveness. All of these topics are things that we'll see through the end of the summer are covered in Proverbs. And we're just going to take them topic by topic. Next week, what does Proverbs say about words and how we use them? And then what does Proverbs say about emotions and how we manage them? What does Proverbs say about work and how we work hard as unto the Lord? All of these things are a part of this dinner that wisdom offers. So much provision, so much sustenance, so much ornate blessing available there at wisdom's table. And who's invited? Look at how wisdom is portrayed here. In verse 3, it says, Wisdom has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come eat of my bread, drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. And walk in the way of insight. First, we see that the simple are the ones that are invited. The simple, that's a category of people that's there in the book of Proverbs. You have wise people, you have simple people, we ha you have scoffers. We'll get there in a second. Verses 7 through 12 describe to us scoffers in particular. That's where we see the three types of people. Simple, scoffer, and wise. But everyone's invited here. The simple are invited, the wise are invited, even the scoffers are invited. But as we'll see, they'll turn away. But the coolest part about this in studying this passage, verse 3, I saw something I had never seen before. Verse 3 literally says, she, wisdom, has sent her young women out. She calls out. Now, verse 3, and this is, this is the English Standard Version. It's the version I use. I think it's great translation. I love it, and I use it every Sunday. It's kind of my standard uh, translation that I preach out of, the English Standard Version. But there's something that's really simple in the Hebrew that's a little bit confusing that is missed in this translation. She has sent out her young women, comma, she calls from the highest places in town. What's interesting in here is that the translators are trying to capture the idea in kind of a clunky way that wisdom has sent out women, representatives, to call on her behalf. But what the Hebrew literally says is she has sent out women to call on her behalf and 
she is the one that is speaking. And so the representatives of wisdom speak with the voice of wisdom. And if the representatives of wisdom speak with the voice of wisdom, it, it gives us sort of another connection point to Jesus. When those that pursue wisdom and follow wisdom speak, they speak the words of wisdom herself. And so in the New Testament, as those that are called to go out on behalf of Jesus, so we too, as ones who speak on God's behalf, the people who speak on behalf of Jesus are seen at times in Scripture as speaking the literal words of God, that the voice of Jesus comes to people through us, through mere men and women. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as the word of God. So Paul is writing to this church in Thessalonica, and he said, thank you for listening to us, because you had this insight when you listened to us. You heard what we said, and you knew the scriptures, and you knew God well enough, and you knew us well enough to know that the words coming out of our mouths were not unique to us, but they came from Jesus. And so you received the words that we spoke, not as the words of us, but as the words of God. And so the representatives of Jesus speak the words of Jesus into the people that need to hear. And so we too, as believers in Jesus, as representatives of Jesus, the calling here, just as the calling for those that pursue wisdom is to then represent wisdom by calling out in wisdom's voice to those that are simple. Those that receive Jesus, those that follow the ways of Jesus, we are called now to speak the words of Jesus out, to be his representatives, to carry his message, to carry his work. Those that have already received wisdom invite other people to come into wisdom's house in Proverbs 9. For a new covenant believer, the application is those who have received Jesus invite others in. Invite those simple ones in that haven't yet received Jesus, that haven't yet received the life that comes from the Son. We make the invitation to others on Jesus' behalf. God reaches other people. God saves sinners because of the verbal proclamation of his good news that comes through his people. We are now his mouthpieces. We are his representatives. But if you look at the simple people in verse 6, you see something else. Leave behind your simple ways, or literally, looking below the surface into the original language of Hebrew, leaving behind your simple ways is actually representative of leaving behind the simple people. That verse could just as easily be translated, leave the company of the simple and live. Leave the simple people and live. Our choice as we're on this journey, okay? I, I've been trying to remind us, okay? We're on a journey together. Like, we're, we're going through this. I'm leading you through what the scripture says. The, the wise sage of Proverbs 1 through 9 is, is instructing us as a father. So we're doing this together. But there, the community aspect of wisdom is really, really important. Because what he's saying here is as you enter into wisdom, the call is, don't just leave behind the old path. Leave behind the influence of the old people. 
And here, I, again, I just said, we're representatives of Jesus. We speak the truth of Jesus into those that need to hear it. So it doesn't mean that we just leave behind all old people in all ways. But at least we leave behind the influence of the old people for the sake of this new life. We live behind, leave behind the community of the simple, the community of the unwise, and we pursue new community in this new family, in this new household. We pursue this new way of life, way of seeing life in the context of a greater people, a greater community. So we have the invitation to the simple to become wise and to dine at the dinner table of wisdom. And we as Christians know we're ultimately invited to Jesus' table. The thing that seeing Jesus as wisdom helps us with, okay? If wisdom is the goal, if we live in this, in this old covenant mindset, in this Proverbs mindset, wisdom is the goal. It makes right action right behavior, the goal. Because wisdom is insight that leads to right action. Wisdom is not just knowing stuff about stuff, but knowing how to live life in light of what you know. It's not just, not just information that you have in your head. It's understanding that allows you to apply it in life. If that were the goal, if just actions were the goal, then we'd we'd miss a piece of the gospel here. Because when we see wisdom as connected to Jesus and see Jesus as the source of wisdom, Jesus as, as the ultimate personification of wisdom, and Jesus as the one who guides us in all wisdom, then we recognize the goal is not our actions. If all we talked about was I want to be wise and I want to be wise so I can be successful, so I can do the right stuff, that's not the goal. The goal in all of this is Jesus. And entering into a relationship with Jesus means repentance that doesn't just turn away from the foolish path, but it turns towards something else. Turning away from an action for the sake of a better action is great, but it's limited and it will leave you empty. Turning away from a lifestyle for a new lifestyle is going to leave you empty. Unless that change, that turn, is toward something that you love, someone that you love, a love that then guides you forward, a new motivation. So we don't walk in wisdom because it's what we're supposed to do. We walk in wisdom because we love Jesus, and love for Jesus compels us forward on the way to wisdom. So this walking in the way of insight, we more clearly see the world because of our new love. I said a couple weeks ago, I told the story of um, Tim Keller, who recently passed away, and in one of his conversations with an atheist, that he then took an illustration that he used often. But he was once in a conversation with an atheist over a long period of time, befriended him, had many, many conversations about faith and about the existence of God and, and Christianity in particular. And this atheist one day looked at him and said, Tim, I recognize my limitations because when you talk about the world, I see that you see it differently. When, when you and I talk about the world, I feel like I, this is the atheist speaking, I feel like I'm the one that's colorblind. You see colors that I don't see. 
You see realities that I don't see. You see context. You see spirituality that, that I don't see. I look, at the, I look at the world and I just see what I see. But you see more. When Proverbs is telling us that when we walk in wisdom, that when we pursue Jesus, we will walk in the way of insight. That means we have new sight. That means wisdom, Jesus, gives us new glasses through which we can see the world, through which we can view our circumstances so that we can look with a, a biblically based, a Christian worldview, that's part of it, but also that we see with spiritual eyes and not just worldly eyes. Tony Evans says often, if all you see is what you see, then you ain't seen everything there is to be seen. The truth of that is if, it, if your life, if your approach to life is limited to what you see physically with your eyes, then you're not taking every factor into consideration around you. Because we live in a world that is not just physical, but spiritual. We live in, in, in the context of eternity and in, in a spiritual battle that has been raging long before we were born and will continue to rage until Jesus puts a final end to it. The victory's already been established. And yet we still find ourselves in the midst of this hostile battle. And so wisdom gives us the insight to not just know the right thing to do, but to know how to live with spiritual eyes in the midst of a hostile world. So that's the house of wisdom. That's the first opportunity we have. It's a good one. But not everybody chooses it. And the author of Proverbs has to, has to instruct his son, has to prepare his son for the fact that some people don't choose the good path. Don't choose the good destination. Don't choose the right dinner party. And here's his explanation of why. He first goes into an explanation of the three types of people, verses 7 through 12. And then in verses 13 and following, he'll show us house number two. And it's not great. Verse 7. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. He who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. So here's the three types of people that we're dealing with here. Wise people, simple people, and the scoffers. We heard about the wise people in verse, verse 4 through 6. The invitation of wisdom is for the, for, or we heard about the simple people. The invitation for wisdom is, come on, simple people. Simple people are the blank slate people. That's, that's you and I. It's you and I before Jesus. It's, we're going the wrong way, but, but we need to understand, we need to learn, we, we're, we know that we need to be changed. Simple people are people going the wrong direction, going towards foolishness, but are ready to change, are ready to hear the truth, are ready to become wise people. Simple people, some become wise, but some turn away and become scoffers. So the wise, untrained, blank slate, they're invited, either to the house of wisdom or the house of folly. The scoffer are those that will exclude himself from the dinner party with wisdom. Because the scoffer doesn't need it, doesn't need instruction, doesn't need to be told what to do. The scoffer, in verse 7, abuses the person that corrects him. 
The scoffer hates the person that reproves him or rebukes him. The scoffer in verse 12 is the one that's responsible for his own fall, for his own journey towards foolishness. This is the person that thinks really highly of himself, wants his voice to be heard, values his own voice above everybody else's, likes to have the answers, likes to to make sure people know how smart he is, but you try to correct him, you try to to lead him, you try to instruct him, you're going to get hate, you're going to get abuse, you're going to get that stone wall that comes up. We know this type of person. We, we, we know what this looks like. But the wise person is also in this passage. The wise person wants to learn. In verse 8, you reprove a scoffer and he hates you. But you reprove a wise person and he loves you. I thought wise people had it all figured out. No. Wise people don't have it all figured out. Wise people are wise enough to listen when they don't have it all figured out. Wise people just have enough figured out to know sometimes they still need direction. They still need correction. Sometimes they still miss it and need people that care about them to care enough to speak up. We all need correction. It doesn't matter how much and how willing we are to listen. The scoffers scoff at correction. The wise embrace correction. Wanting to learn. Willing to be corrected. Willing to receive criticism. Criticism, And it's all because, in verse 10, of the fear of the Lord. If you have proper fear of the Lord, if you have proper respect for who God is in all of his infinite wisdom, in all of his infinite holiness and purity, and in all of your sin in response to him, then you're going to recognize, I don't have it figured out. Not in comparison to this holy God. And therefore, of course there's going to be times I miss it. The wise person receives correction because of the humility that he sees when he looks at himself in comparison to the holy God. If you recognize your dependence on God, you recognize that God uses other people to help you grow, to challenge you, and to teach you. But in verse 12, or verse 11, you see that the wise person lives longer and the scoffer bears the pain of his own failure. So think about this. In verse 12, both the wise and the scoffer, they're responsible for what happens to them. They're responsible for their own choices. They seek to live in, on either one path or the other path. And remember, we've gone through this journey. There's a hundred different ways to leave the path of wisdom. We're right there at the end. We have the house of wisdom is right here. But we're about to see in verse 13 and following that, that folly has set up a house too. Now, we've been following the path towards wisdom. And you think, I made the decision weeks ago when Tim started Proverbs 1. I made a decision weeks ago. We're going to go on this journey towards wisdom. Here we are nine chapters later and folly's still right there next to wisdom. What gives? Haven't we we've been walking in the opposite path for a long time? This shows you how, how difficult folly is, how challenging it is. Because she set up a house right across the street from wisdom. There's a lot more ways to get it wrong than there are to get it right. A lot more wrong paths than right paths. And so folly is all along the way trying to distract you, even up to the last point of decision. Even if you've made every decision right to walk in wisdom, follow Jesus, walk in wisdom, follow God, follow God's will for your life, follow God's instruction, live in holiness, live in purity as much as you possibly can, there still comes a time 
where you have another decision to make to either get it right or get it wrong. And you can't just say, well, because I've, I've made the right decision all this time, I can make one wrong decision. One wrong decision can lead to all sorts of consequences, all sorts of repercussions that can lead to great, great pain and, and um, great destruction for us and those around us. So the personal responsibility here is on the person. Verse 12, if you are wise, you choose to be wise and it benefits yourself. If you scoff, you're the one that's got to deal with it. So you make the decision. It's on you. In verse 13, we look at this last house. The woman folly is loud. She's seductive and she knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Look at the house. Wisdom, in verse 1, has built a house. Folly, in verse 13, and these, these passages are parallel. You can look at them side by side. You can see that verse 16 and verse 4 are exactly the same. You can see that in verse, uh, in verse 3, you have the women who represent wisdom calling out from the highest places of town. And in verse 15, parallel, or um, sorry, verse 14, parallel, that folly sits at the highest place of town. You have this, this parallel invitation here. You have one house, dinner, set of invitees, and way of life that comes along with it. Or you have another house, dinner, invitation list, and the way of life that accompanies it. Nothing is said of the house of wisdom. That's because folly puts her work into luring and deceiving and screams loudly. Ultimately, the picture that, that Solomon is giving us here is an empty house. A house that is nothing inside. That's why he speaks of the, of the pillars, of the strength of the house of wisdom. But there's no description of this house of folly because it's ultimately nothing. It's all in shambles. It's really just meant to trick you. The house itself is an optical illusion. Though it might look sweet on the outside, there's nothing but the place of the dead, Sheol, inside. The dinner, look at what the, what the dinner that folly offers you. Verse 17, stolen water and bread in secret. As opposed to the best beasts available and mixed wine, folly is giving you stolen water and bread eaten in secret. The invitation list is the same. They're going after the same crowd, the simple people. And wisdom is trying to take simple people and make them wise. And folly is taking simple people and making them into scoffers. And the way of life is not life. But in verse 18, the dead are there. You enter into the house and the dead are there. And the guests of the house of folly are in the depths of Sheol, the place of of the dead. And so there's not really a choice here, right? It's not a difficult decision to make. Do you want this elaborate dinner party at this ornate home that offers you literally everything? Or do you want stolen water and bread that you have to eat in secret and ultimate death? The, the contrast is simple. 
And yet we need these reminders because we face decisions every single day where we can walk in wisdom or walk in folly. We can respond to the invitation of Jesus to follow after him, or respond to the invitations of the world that look really great, smell really sweet, and are broken and lead to death. But ultimately, this passage, it points us to another passage. Luke 14. Jesus was at a dinner party. Jesus knew the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus had read Proverbs 9 a time or two. Jesus knew the picture of wisdom and folly, the decision between two dinner parties. And Jesus gets invited to a dinner party held by a simple man, a a foolish man. The man was a ruler of the Pharisees. He probably knew Proverbs 9 too. And as in Luke 14, Jesus enters into this home of the ruler of the Pharisees, he decides to start talking about food and dinner. And he tells multiple parables about about banquets and feasts while being there in this home of this Pharisee, this leader among the Pharisees. And we'll pick it up in verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. At the time for the banquet, he he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, everything's now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. The master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city. Bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited shall taste my banquet. Look at this story that Jesus is telling. Look at the dinner party that Jesus is planning. This dinner party in which first, the, the, the simple parable is referencing Israel and the Gentiles. That Israel has rejected God's invitation and God's covenants and God's love and pursuit of them, and therefore uh, the, the offer of salvation is opening up to the Gentiles, to every, every people group uh, in the world, every people group under the sun now has the opportunity for salvation to come and dine with the Son of God and dine, in fact, with God himself. The invitation goes out to anyone. The time to respond is now. And he says, don't delay in your response. So if Jesus is wisdom and wisdom is Jesus and Proverbs 9 is referenced in Luke 14, then we have a simple invitation waiting for us. Find Jesus or don't. Enter into the life with him or don't. Come and dine at his table. Come and receive the gift that he gives. Come and receive the new life 
that he is offering or choose folly that leads to death. We'll wrap it this way. The invitation is there for each one of us. Come. Jesus, the Son of God, recognized that you were a sinner, that you rejected God's law and commands, that you needed salvation. And therefore, Jesus came willingly, and the Father sent him, and the Father was pleased for the Son to suffer on your behalf, to go to the cross and die, but to be raised again from the dead so that you might have the opportunity for new life, and you might be called a son or daughter, and that Christ could look at you as as a sibling, him the firstborn entering into the kingdom of heaven, but also bringing with us all of the with him all of those of us that are in him and with him. The invitation for the finest meal you've ever had, even better than Cracker Barrel chicken pot pie. The invitation's there. Come to Jesus. But as you come, we've got these continuing conversations to have. Pursue the community of Jesus. See what it's like to leave behind the simple community and rest in the community that God offers. The community of encouragement, the community of his son, the community of of mutual love that comes when a people are redeemed. When a group of of sinners are saved by the same God and respond with the same love to him. Binds us together, knits us together. But along the way, we've got to watch out for this scoffing thing. Because sometimes even those of us that are redeemed by Jesus think we got it all figured out. We made that one important decision, so don't come and correct me. Don't come and, don't come and challenge me. I've got it all figured out. So we set aside scoffing on the way, on the way to Jesus. And we rest. We rest knowing he's a better God than you are. He knows you better than you know yourself. His plan for you is better than your plan for yourself. So whatever you're facing, whatever difficult decision lies ahead, whatever pain lies behind, his ways are perfect, his plans are pure, and his plans are for your good, because at the end, the banquet, the banquet that we're being invited into is the banquet that is fully realized at the end of days, where there's no more battle, no more enemy. It's only the presence of Jesus and Jesus' people all together resting in him. And if this is true, then what we're facing now really is going to be okay. Really, he is in control. There's a good God that loves us, that is working to bring good and to bring his eternity and to make all those things that are broken and that are painful be forgotten in the weight of his great eternal glory. So we're going to continue in worship by standing. And we're going to sing some more. And we're going to sing. And as we sing, I'm going to ask you to to just reflect on this word that has been given to us, that Jesus offers rest, that Jesus offers this great, comfortable meal in this ornate home that he has prepared specifically for each one of us. And so we celebrate. So I'm going to ask you, stand in celebration. But as we sing, know that there's a point of connection that needs to be made. Head to heart has to come together. So we take what we know and we live it out in obedience to serve him and follow him. Because 
of the risen Jesus in the presence of the Spirit. We can do that. We can live in wisdom and pursue Him. Let's stand and we'll sing together.
Father, we do bless you. We proclaim your holiness and your goodness. And God, we pray for your blessing over us now. That as we do sing through the doubts and fears that come our way, we remind our hearts of the truths our heads have learned. Father, we pray your presence with us to sustain us, to go with us, encourage us to joy, faithfulness. Because, Father, you have, you have made a way to new life. And we believe and we trust that all of the suffering, all of the pain and all of the sin, when we look on our Savior face to face, we will see. We will see that the eternal weight of the glory of eternity and of who you are causes all of the pain to fall away. So, Father, we long for that day. We pray for those that are hurting. Give them joy in anticipation of that day. We pray, Father, that you would show us God, give every one of us one person right now to invite into this day. Full of fulfillment, full of direction, full of joy, full of life. May we speak for you out into the highways and byways, inviting people in to see your beauty and to see your life. And now, Father, guide us as we go. Use us for your glory. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. Remain standing. We'll together receive the blessing from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.